This is Spur Leadership Podcast number 14. I am Mac Richard, joined again by the one and only Michael Ward. Mike, how are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. As you said, we're staying warm inside. I'm telling you what, yeah. man. All of a sudden, like yesterday here in Austin, it's 83 degrees, and you wake up this morning, it's cold, and it's 38. And I think tomorrow's supposed to be... 70s again. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can't complain. But well, yes. we've always said, yeah. being from Canada, I don't know if you could appreciate this as much, but they've always said in Texas, if you don't like the weather, just wait 10 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have the four seasons down here. And uh, I don't miss living in Canada except for the summers. Exactly. That's we kind of sure. go from the 4th of July to Christmas yeah. in weather, even though the calendar, we've got those days in between. But that actually is a great lead in. I didn't even think about it to what we're talking about today. As you look at the opportunities, that you have in December. It's, it's a unique time of the year for everybody, whether you're in church, the marketplace, schools. I think most people kind of, quote unquote, business slows down a little yeah. bit. Most people are not making decisions anymore after Thanksgiving. And it's really an opportunity to look inward to prepare and set up for the coming new year. Yeah. And I think you you missed one of them there too, personally, at home too, Absolutely. right? Setting up for Absolutely. the new year. And appreciate that a lot of that's probably done post-Christmas, right? The lead up to Christmas is very busy from a family and personal mm-hmm. perspective. But yeah, I, I think a lot of businesses, churches, whatever, uh, that go by the calendar year as their fiscal year have probably put a lot of plans in place, have debated a lot of things, thought about forecasts, targets, expectations, um, and now they're fine-tuning them coming into the new year. So Jan 1, you get out of the gate. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's it's a busy time, but it's actually a very much a, a setting of a foundation setting of the future of the next year. It really is. And I think that it does present a unique opportunity because, you know, for years, like for us, example, as a church, our fiscal year runs April 1st to March 31. But the vast majority of our church doesn't even know that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so no matter what your fiscal year looks like, January 1 is always, there's just something inside of us, I think, emotionally that says, this is a new opportunity. This is a new day. And and there's something inside of us, I think, that is hungry to do something new, to do something different. Because I think we can all look back over the last year, the last 12 months and go, okay, this I would change. Yeah. This I would like to make better. This I would alter and rethink some things. And January is just the perfect time to do that. And so I thought, you know, as we kind of wrap up the year, this is really a great opportunity from a leadership perspective, no matter where you may fall in an organization. You may be the CEO, you may be working in the mailroom. Jan 1 is an opportunity. Yeah, It's an opportunity to set a new course, even if it's only internally. But I think what we're going to talk about today can help you do that from a business standpoint of, of if you're leading a large organization or even a small mom and pop business or just leading yourself yeah. or your family at home, getting ready for what's coming in the new year. And I think it's a big thing about, and I learned this probably about six, seven years ago from, from someone that was suggesting I, I, I took this approach was you could talk about it. And, and you can maybe spend a little bit of time of thinking about, okay, I'm going to come out of the gate, Jan 1, and I'm going to uh, try to achieve this. Or, you know, the business goals are, are this, and therefore I'm going to, you know, start to start to work on that. But a lot of people, I should say, I used to, six, seven years ago, would wait to Jan 1 to start digging in. Yeah. And I didn't take advantage of what December really was. And yeah. it, it is a time that a lot of things wind down. 
and a lot of time you have a lot more time potentially on the Friday afternoons of a you know you're not doing a sales call or there's not right, too many important right. meetings going on. Uh, and so it is a time to set and sit down and figure out exactly how are you going to attack that goal, that strategy, that vision that may be laid out for you if you're an employee, right, right. your employer that you're setting mm-hmm. for the for the team and having to lead them through and just come in fully prepped and prepared to attack Gen 1. Yeah, and, and hit the ground running when everybody's back in the office. Like you said, most people have at least January 1 off, but it, on January 2nd, yeah. you know, where are we going and how are we going to get there? And I think for those of us in the church world, it's, it's, a, it's such a unique dynamic. This time of year, it, it's not slowing down. If anything, we're, we're, get, we're gearing up for one of our Super Bowls. Yeah. We've got the Super Bowl at Christmas and then the Super Bowl at Easter. But it is something that we can begin to structure our year around. And that's something that I tried to do this year, as a matter of fact, where my preaching schedule in December looks different this year than it has in years past. For example, I'm going to be speaking at another church in Las Vegas for a good friend of mine, Judd Wilhite, and... Uh, I'll be speaking there this weekend, which means I'm preaching a sermon that I've already prepared. So I've got really a week, a a huge window of my week and a huge window of this month opened up that normally is devoted to sermon prep that I can actually use for organizational prep and getting our church and our staff and our team rallied around where we're going and what we're after, but also getting other people thinking about how are we going to get there? Yeah. And I think that's probably a good place to kind of launch the conversation because I think as you as you think about planning, and this is true for Julie and me, even as empty nesters at home, <laughs> we think about planning for twenty for the year twenty twenty. Like, what what is our vision? What's our go to? And why are we doing what we're doing at home? Why are we doing what we're doing at Lake Hills Church or in the organization yeah. that you lead? Whatever it might be. And so for from where I sit, I think that vision statement, that that true north that drives everything that you're about, you have to make sure that that still holds yeah. and, and come back to that. You know, for us as a church, our vision statement, our, our calling as a church is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. Yeah. So that's that's pretty broad. And that hasn't changed in 22 years. That's right, right. Yeah. That's very broad. There are a lot of things you can do within that, but that remains our true north. That yeah. remains the reason we get up and go every morning. And it's amazing how clarifying that is and how much it helps in getting into the other things we're going to talk about in just a second. But that that vision, you know, for our home, our, our family is so different now that our kids are grown and gone and, and in masters, you know, pursuing their masters and all that kind of stuff. It's just Julie and me at home. But our vision remains the same. We're, we're here to love God, love his house, and love his ways, and to help as many people do that as we possibly can. So what does that look like for us as a couple? Yeah. And I think that vision can be complicated to come up with, right, for the household, for a couple, for a business. I mean, I know we sat down multiple times with different companies in the past with consultants that were experts in vision and mission and, you know, those type of statements. And, and we would spend tons and tons of time trying to build that because you really want it to be simple. Yes. You really want it to be precise. You really want someone to be able to read it and go, I get exactly what they are right. doing without 
having someone like one of us explain it to them. And I think you want it to be memorable. Not not yeah. that it's like, wow, but that it's you can remember it. Yeah. You know, most of the times I think looking back in my life and I think when people try to write a vision statement, they try to they just try to catch the catch everything in the kitchen sink in it. And it it really needs to be broad and big enough to capture whatever it is that you are called to do, whatever it is that you're trying to do. But at the same time, it it's it'll stand the test of time over time. Yeah. And and it's something you can come back to. Like I said, it's that true north that that's why you get up every day. Well, and it's the true north that everyone knows what they're working towards. Right. Right. And and so in large organizations where the founder, the CEO, you know, the person can't always be there speaking or being in front of people visibly, they know what has been set for them. Right. And that they know what they're working towards. And I think some of the best companies out there, Apple, you know, some of these very successful companies have very simple vision statements. Yeah. And, and so no matter where you are in the chain of uh, employment on that org chart, you know what you're driving towards. Right, right. And, and it hasn't changed. And, and that creates a lot of success and a lot of ability to get people to wake up in the morning. They go, hey, I'm, we're hitting that North That's Star. You may after. never achieve the North Star to... You know, because I guess it's always time to time. you may yeah. you may miss it, or or it's you know it's one that's just always out there to work towards, and so. But I think what you just said is really important, Mike. I think the vision has to be big. Yeah. I think it needs to be something bigger than ourselves, bigger than we can accomplish on our own. Particularly for those of us who come at it from the perspective of a Christ follower, we're we're called to be a part of God's purposes in this world. We can't do that on our own. So our vision for how we're going to participate in what God is up to and who he is and how he wants to touch people's lives, that's got, I think it ought to scare us a little bit. I think the vision ought to be something that you kind of go, whoa, I need help. You know, I, I need to be getting closer to God. I need to be listening more regularly in my time with the Lord. I need to, I need to say, where am I going with this thing? And it needs to be something bigger than I can accomplish on my own. And I have two thoughts to that. One is you see a lot of incredible visions for companies out there and mm-hmm. from people that are entrepreneurs that are dreamers. Yeah. Right? And just, I bet if you were around them before the company took off and they, and they said, I'm going to create Apple or I'm going to create Uber or Facebook or some, you know, uh, 3M, whatever the company may be, you would have gone, yeah. Good luck with that, <laughs> right? Right, it, right? It just sounded so far out there. And just the idea and the concept and or the size of that it may be or the people it may impact, all the, the different things that they may have set for their vision. But dreaming big and, and then being relentless towards yeah. a vision. And I think that I love that word, relentless towards a vision was so key. The second thing that comes in, and I wish I did it earlier on, and I would say it's probably been the last 12, 18 months where I started to, was wherever you're at in a business to give your ability to achieve that vision in the control of God. Yeah. And I grew up in a Christian home, you know, did all the routines, but never, I tried to do it all myself. Right. And parts of it definitely has, has worked out, but I went, man, if I would only had gone back and started by going, this is all yours. And I trust you to guide me to this. Cause maybe I would have gotten beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't look back that often. I don't look in the rear view mirror, but I just, it, I'm happy now that I'm still 36 and going, I now, for whatever my career you know, activities are on a day-to-day basis, it's God's. You've still got a huge runway guess, in front yeah, of you. Yes. you know? and, I think, and I think that goes again to vision because most people understand 
that a business has to make money. You have to grow. You have to survive financially. You have to be a viable entity. But making money is not a vision. Yeah. Making money is a byproduct. It's fine if that happens. That's great. I'm, and again, I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. But I think in a lot of ways, when you understand that that's not a vision, that then money can kind of help to clarify and, and kind of go, okay, this is something that people will pay for. This is something that's going to add enough value yeah. to somebody's life, to somebody else's business, to somebody else's interests, that they'll pay for it. But my reason for doing this, my vision, is not about the money. Yeah. I can't ignore the money. You know, even in the church where people say to me all the time, like, well, you know, I know the church is a business. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's true there is a business side to church. We have bills to pay. We yeah. have staff to pay. People tithe faithfully as a statement of their faith. So there is a financial part. There is a business side of church, but it's not about the business. Yeah. The church is about something bigger. And I happen to believe everybody's business ought to be bigger than just making money. Yeah. And typically, I've noticed something too. I don't know if this has been true in your experience, but I've noticed something. Have you ever heard somebody say, it's not about the money? Have you ever? All had, the time. You know, yeah. and, and, and I understand that. And yeah. I, I believe people when they tell me that. I've noticed, though, the people who say it's not about the money typically have a lot of it. <laughs> yes. and, and they've realized that they're, they're about something bigger than yeah. just earning a paycheck or just putting food on the table or just making more money for the company or for yeah. the business or for themselves. And that's, that's where I think you start to kind of expand your, your mind. And, and honestly, I don't care who you are, Ebenezer Scrooge, you expand your heart yeah. to go, how can I make a difference in people's lives in a way that they will pay for it, that will sustain this company or this vision or this dream, but is so far yeah. beyond just making money? And and I think when you understand that, then you kind of get to move down to the next level and you go, okay, if that's our vision, that's our true north and why we exist, why we're doing what we do, then how we get there becomes our goals and our targets. Yeah. And I think it's important to articulate those things. And I don't know if this has been true in your experience in the business world, but goals and targets get to be really scary things because you have to write them down. Exactly. You, you have to be, put them out there in front of your team, yeah. in front of your church, in front of your yeah. family. It's It becomes instant accountability. Yeah. And I just remember the prep for actually setting them used to be quite the debate or negotiations, sure. right? Used to the, the financial side of the business, CFO side of the business would usually hold the commercial side and say, "Well, you're sandbagging the numbers, <laughs> right?" And it's usually from somebody who's done it themselves, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then the it, the commercial side would uh, would always say, "Well, you're holding me too too high of an expectation, right?" right. And so then you usually get to the middle, or or usually the CEO would tell you what the number ends up being, and and then you'd go out and and try to figure it out. I think that is such the the biggest opportunity from a leadership perspective is then how do you go deploy those mm -hmm. expectations, those targets, those goals down to a team to go and achieve? Right. Uh, because being a single producer, if you're, if you had a target of hundred grand, you needed to go generate those sales next year versus you have a team of 10 that needs to generate a million dollars. You know, it's very different to now go, I have an expectation, but that expectation can't be fully delivered by me. It's right. got to be deployed down to the team. And so actually sitting back and, and mapping that out yep. becomes what is busy during this time of year to get Jan 1 up and ready. And I think, Mike, what you just said is so important because I think who 
delivers that message yeah. and how that message gets delivered, I think that may be where most mid-level leadership fails happen. Because if you have if you have somebody who's going, okay, we've been given this number and, and they're they're downplaying the number or they're they're criticizing those who gave the number, then that you've created an us versus them mentality that it, before you've ever put one foot on the street, yeah. you've got a problem. So I think it's important that the people who deliver that message do it in a way that helps everybody. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you try to if you try to be the wedge between the people that you're leading and those above you, you're creating a problem for yourself and for everybody around you. Yeah. So I think when you say these are our goals, these are our targets for the year, it's okay to acknowledge, hey, that's a big number. Or, man, we went through a lot of iterations to get mm. to this place. But I believe this is what's going to help us be a healthier company, a healthier team, a healthier everybody on the other side of this. Now, let's figure out how we're going to get yeah. there. And I think that creates a culture that is so much healthier. I, I've seen it happen in churches, just like I know it happens in business in the business world, where there's this us versus them, like, well, I, I argued. I didn't want this to happen. Yeah. I didn't want this to be what we were going after, but we got to do it because they told us we have to. What's interesting about that is whenever that happens, you've actually undermined your own leadership yeah. authority, your own leadership credibility. Because basically, you have just taken on the role of a water carrier. Yeah. You just said, I don't have anything to do with this. It's not my call. And you, yeah. you've made yourself a victim trying to be the good guy to the team that you're leading. And, and you've undermined your own leadership cap capabilities in trying to undermine those that It's got to be one of the hardest to. balances as a leader to figure out, right? Because if you're on that leadership team and the one kind of giving the final sign-off of what those numbers are. But then you go away and you have now this this team that you work with, that you yep. lead, and you want to make sure that you're representing both parties and both views and both opinions on goals and targets. But your ability to represent, I think, is done... I, I've seen a lot of times where it's not done as, sure. as well as it, as it could versus you know that true communication of going, I th I've represented you, when I went to the planning meeting, and now that the decision's made, I've represented you, the people that have signed right. off on it, to go back and implement it and, and make sure that the culture's and you're, what, successful and in that. Obviously, not everybody agrees with everybody else all the time. We yeah. know that. Yeah. But how you present it is so critical to the overall health of the organization. And at the end of the day, we ought to do it because it's the right yeah. thing to do, period. And... You'll actually help yourself if you'll protect the culture of the organization that you're a part of. If you create a problem like that, you're not helping yourself. Yeah. You're creating a culture where trust is diminished or maybe even completely squashed, and that becomes every man, every woman for yeah. themselves. I remember I used to do a lot of prep work on this in, in past, and, and what I would do is I'd work with the finance team and start to go, what are you guys thinking for next year? Yeah. Where are you modeling yeah. things out? Where, where are some of the key points that you think are going to be big for CEO, for the board, whoever it may be that, that's signing off on it? And so I would get kind of like a roadmap of where they were thinking. Then without sharing that with the team, I'd go, hey, team, where do you think you can get to next year? Yeah. And allow them to start to prepare. And if there was a big gap there, I was trying to narrow that gap yeah. even before we even had a discussion 
you know, at the, at the executive level to actually go and, and start to sign that off. So we've almost I've said to the team, in a way, you've helped build the budget, even though I was tweaking it behind sure. the scenes a bit, but yeah. you've helped build the budget that we've gone in and, and potentially adjusted a little bit. You was usually not too different in those numbers. So they actually felt a part of it yep. versus being dictated. And Absolutely. that was a big opportunity for us to close that gap of whose team are you on or how do you communicate it? It's almost like, hey, I'm just the messenger in this. You guys are communicating what your budget is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm representing I'm facilitating. It. And, and you close the gap of the expectations, which ultimately closes the gap between people. Yeah. Because ultimately, every business comes down to people. Yeah. It comes down to people and trust. The, the business that you do, I don't care what industry you're in or what organization yeah. you're part of, the business that you, that you do is the easiest part of anything. Yeah. It's the people part where things get really, really good, or they can also be really, really yeah. challenging at sometimes. And I think, I think this is a, it's an interesting thing that, that we've experienced, I think, as a church, and I'd be interested from your perspective in the marketplace, it, there are seasons, we've been through seasons, of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. We've been through seasons of uncertainty because of the world around us, because we've had people coming and going, where you kind of have to, you kind of have to, Sometimes you can't this you can't use this as an excuse forever, obviously. But there are times, I think, when you kind of have to let the dust settle a little bit yeah. and then kind of evaluate where are we? And sometimes sometimes that's not an easy answer. Yeah. Well, I think as you describe that, some examples come come back in mind. But I mean, letting the dust settle is, is I guess, different depending on circumstances, right? If you're a publicly traded company, you've gone out and you've said to the market, here's the numbers, right? Your your dust settling may not be the same time scale as someone that's a privately held company. Sure. But you're right. There's there's so many things that you can put into play for goals and targets that then things change. People leave. People come. Um, You know, curveballs happen in in life and business and church. And so your ability to step back and go, hold on one second. We had this plan. But now this changed and, and, you know, sit back and map it all out. Lori, my wife, used to describe it as you're playing chess with people's lives. Yes. You know, she used to sit, watch me on my computer going, okay, this is a moving part. That's a moving part. Do we move this person to this role? Mm-hmm. How, how do we play it out? And, and not that you can force play it out, but how do you start to map what's now different than what you just hopefully planned There's so for. many times I've thought about, like, the general manager of a football team who's got the depth chart yeah. on the wall in his office – with the magnets that you move around yeah. player to position and those kind of things. I go back to Jim Collins, you know, making sure that you've got the right people in the right yeah. place on the bus before you take off. Yeah. And, and sometimes that takes a little bit of time. And I, and I'll admit there, there've been times when I've taken too much time. Like I, mm. there are times when you kind of go, what, what is really going on? Mm. And it takes, and it takes you a little bit of time to diagnose the world that you're yeah. in, the market that you may be competing in, or the area where you may be ministering. Things, you know, I, I know, I go back to, you know, 1990, when I was coming out of college, nobody had ever, re- I guess there were a few people were using the term contemporary church. Hmm. Well, that ship has sailed. I mean, Every church is contemporary yeah. at this point, you know. Even even the mainline old school denominational churches, 
they'll have an acoustic worship yeah. service. You know, now they're still doing hymns, yeah. but they're doing them with guitars and maybe a snare. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that that landscape has shifted dramatically just in the amount of time that I've been doing yeah. ministry, and it causes you to kind of step back and go, okay. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? And I think that's where you get those goals and those strategies, those goals and those targets. Yeah, I agree. And and I think this is even important in the household. And when Lori listens to this, she's going to laugh and also shake her head at the same time because <laughs> I, I love that stuff. It's it's how I tick is setting an, a goal, setting a target, an expectation, and then it, and trying to achieve it, and then moving the chains and, right. and trying to add again. So even for us as a family, and then you have kids, and then we have, and then we have kids, and so now my kids are on you know these goals and targets. No, but I love going in the new year. I have the same budget in an Excel sheet that I've had ever since we've been married. All right, it, it's moved now a bit because there's kids in it and sure. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I plan my year, and, and I sit down with Laura and go, okay, how much do we want to try to save next year? How much do we want to try to invest next year? Or, or, or what type of trip do we want to potentially right, do next year? Right. And then how do we start to plan for that? Can I stop you real quick? Yeah. I think that is so wise and so simple. Yeah. Now, doesn't mean it's easy. But it is so simple, and I think if anybody's listening to this as and you're thinking about your own family or even your own household, to just stop for a second and go, do we have what Mike's talking about right there? Do we have it down on paper? I'm not talking about thinking, we should have a budget. I make this, so we should spend that. But I mean categorizing and putting it out there, that begins to... Really and truly, and I think it segues great into where you go, you know, you start with vision, you go to goals and targets, but at some point you have to put structure and strategy to those goals and those targets in order to fulfill that vision. And the structure and the strategy becomes how you live day in and day out. And everybody needs that. You know, I, I know, I know no one. Nobody, and I'm old. I'm 53 years old. I know a lot of people. I don't know anyone who has unlimited resources and money. Hmm. Everybody I know has a certain amount. Yeah. Now, some have more than others, obviously. But what that means is with limited resources, you have unlimited options. So you have to figure out how are you going to, how are you going to manage your options given your resources. Yeah. And that goes to putting it down on paper, like you said. I don't know that you necessarily have to use an Excel spreadsheet like Mike <laughs> Ward does, but I'd recommend it. Yeah. It's a great idea. Well, and I think structure and strategy are two words that scare a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, having a lot of conversations with people, you know, throughout my years, where I go, "What's the strategy?" and they go, oh, I'm, I, "I don't know," right? Or, or, or you know, they start to try to map it, and it, it's a kind of a silly one, but it's the one I've used constantly and. Uh, I use the example of, you know, let's take a strategy as being that I need an office. And in the office, I need a desk. Okay, great. So I have a desk, but I may not know what the desk needs to look like, if it's three drawers and two drawers or how, what the height or what it's made out of, but I need a desk. And I think IKEA makes a great example of what a strategy can be for building that desk. So you go into IKEA, you go, yeah, that's one. It shows you the tools, the screws. You know, the, the different Allen keys, the screwdrivers that you may need. They even provide a lot of them. And then the steps to deliver a desk. Yeah. And, and so a lot of people are scared of what mapping the, the, the high-level strategy to support the goals, to support the vision. Yeah. 
But once you figure that out, which is really not complicated, it really is simple, then it's as simple as going backwards and going, what are the steps Yeah. and what are the tools I need to take those steps? I think two things when you said that immediately. I thought about what Jocko Willink is famous yeah. for saying, discipline equals freedom. Yeah. Discipline equals freedom. That's true. If I'm, if I'm more disciplined in what I eat, I've got more freedom physically. Yeah. You know, discipline equals freedom. The other thing that I think is structure is not something to fear. It's, it doesn't mean it's you're setting a structure in steel and stone that will be here until Jesus comes back. You can change structure and strategies, yeah. but you need to have a structure and a strategy. I always, the second thing that I think about is when a quarterback goes to the line, I think about Peyton Manning used to famously you know go to the line and Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> and it was, he, you knew, we, at first we thought he was always audibling. We found out later yeah. that a lot of times he was just yelling Omaha yeah. to throw off the defense. But you can always audible if you have a plan. Yeah. An audible is, is smart, it's wise, yeah. but you, you can only audible out of a plan, yeah. which is a structure, a strategy to what you want to accomplish. And so as you think about moving into this new year, making the time. I don't, I don't like to say taking the time. I like making the time because we've all got 24 hours. But making the time to sit down and say, what's the structure? What's the strategy? Mm-hmm. And for us as an organization, as a church, when I say structure, I mean who goes where to accomplish, to, to do the strategy, yeah. to reach the goals, to fulfill the vision. Yeah. And that's where you start to kind of see, that's where you also start to deal with people's gifts and talents, their weaknesses. What do they do well? What do they not do well? Yeah. And, and let's put them in a position to win and and hold them accountable yeah. through this process. And I think one of the things that I made a mistake in early on in the life of our church was I did not build in the systems of accountability early enough. I believe in accountability, but if you don't build it into the system, mm-hmm. then when you impose accountability or you offer accountability, it's a shock to the system. Yeah. And when people know they're going to be held accountable because you believe in them, because you have a culture of trust, it, it actually becomes a vehicle to growth, development, trust, yeah. and everything. We used to put everything in a one-pager, mm-hmm. right? And it was, I think, done quarterly. So that it, back to that accountability. There was no excuse or no communication lapse right. of saying you didn't know. Or I wasn't clear because it was written in a single piece of paper, right? It had, it had the goals, targets, had the strategy, tactics, um, all in one single place for you to know for that quarter what to do. And then you met on it on a frequency, biweekly, whatever it may be. But at the end of the quarter, after two or three months, you start to realize where things may be up or down or adjustments need to be sure. made or accountability and performance needs to be discussed, um, right? Maybe the effort's not being put in, but the output's... Um, yeah, obviously lacking as well. And so what's the input that needs to be adjusted so right. output could be better? So I, I've always loved documenting it, maybe not always in an Excel sheet, but you know, at least right, tracking right. it. And, you have to. and to be able to turn back so that no one can make an excuse and say, Yeah, right. I, I get it. And I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, some people go, Well, I stood up on the first of January and we had a all hands town hall meeting and I said everyone, here's the plan and here's what you need to go do. And you leave, and you go, they, they're good now. Yeah. 
but they're not. And we're no. in a day of age of such cool technology and, and platforms that we could translate communication back and forth to go, here's what I track or here's what I expect and, yep. and here how I do it. And I just think, you know, go back to your football analogy. You know, Tom Brady's a great example of someone that has the structure yeah. and the strategy in place. And some people go, oh, that sounds so boring. He eats the same kind of healthy food every day and he works out every day. Well, but look at the results. Right, right. So if you don't want the results don't sit there and be so relentless with the structure and the strategy right. to be able to go achieve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things, and it's funny as, as we thought about going down this funnel from, from vision, then to goals and targets and then to structure and strategy. And then at the very bottom of the funnel or at the, maybe it's not the bottom, but it's at the, at its most granular level, you've got tactics yeah. and, and tactics. I think about tactile hands on that's, yeah. that's where, the rubber meets the road, and you're actually doing the stuff that you've been talking about doing. That you've and and talking about doing it, documenting it, tracking it. All that all that is really hard work. But it's it's all of that stuff comes because there are hands on at some point. You have to have boots on the ground at some point. And what I noticed about myself, and it's interesting. I think everybody has a certain um, affinity or certain aptitudes. There are things that they're better at than at others. All of us. I'm much better at the top of the funnel mm-hmm. than I am the bottom of the funnel. Yeah. Now I have to do all of those things at different points in my job and in my my calling, but I'm better near the the closer I get to the top and the broader picture, I'm much better at the tactics and the minutia and the strategy. Like when we come out of a budget meeting, I'm exhausted. <laughs> now I have to do it because that's like my, my responsibility. Excel yeah. I, your Excel sheets just <laughs> just make my day. Yeah. It makes my day because I know you've thought about every single <laughs> column, and and I can go through them to a point, but it's exhausting to yeah. me, and and I know that about myself at this point. So that means I need somebody like you around me, and I also I, I also know there are times when I have to go do that, yeah. but I try to keep it to a minimum so that I can stay sharp and do that other stuff up here. And I also know there are other people who love Excel. Yeah, they they live. For, for ones and zeros and putting stuff in columns. And if they thought that they had to preach every Sunday or come up with the vision and the direction for where we were going to go, they would throw up in their mouth a little bit. And that's okay. But that's where that's why it's about team. I think once you get the vision set, obviously we said that's the North Star. That doesn't move, right? And the goals and the, and the targets are somewhat defined and, and not too much – you know, it wouldn't be flexible to maneuver right. within those once the year kicks off, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. They're kind of set, set. Maybe you reevaluate if things because are up or down. Because life happens. I- exactly. But the further down, as we say, tactics, there's creativity to that. Yes. People can do it differently and in, in be doing the exact same role. Yep. Maybe they track their daily activities, you know, on a notepad. Maybe they use a project management system. Maybe they go at customer service in different methods. Whatever the role may be, the creativity in those tactical structure strategy levels allow them to put more of their fingerprints on. Yeah. They can't put their fingerprints per se on the vision uh, or designing of it, but they have that ability to go, now this is yours. Now this is yours to get up and deliver yep. and, and design and allow you to be a leader of yourself. Absolutely. And that but that's how you that's how you get there. Yeah. You know? I, I think Bill Belichick I think is a great example of somebody who started out literally running film for his dad, who was a coach at the Naval Academy. Yeah. 
And then he became a scout for the Naval Academy. So he started at the most basic tactical level that there is. And now he's, he is obviously Coach Belichick. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's all of those things. But he's, he's learned what it takes. And I'm sure there are things that he doesn't do well. Yeah. He might not ever admit that, but there are those things. He's human. Um, but he's learned what it takes all the way throughout his career. Well, I, th- I think that supports probably your journey, right, through the churches. You didn't yeah. start on stage, no. right? And you started at other churches that had a system and a process and leadership, and so you got to learn from that. And then starting Lake Hills, you probably, I assume, were, were counting the money in the bucket. You were, you know, speaking on Sunday. You may have been singing on Sunday. I, I'm no, not, I'm not sure. You want back. I didn't sing. <laughs> but for, for those first few years, yeah. you had yeah. to do everything. So now your ability to lead is in a lot of cases, you know what those people in the team should be doing, are doing. You've been there in some I know, fashion. I know what they need. I know what they what they want yeah. as a member of that team. And so that's helpful too. Yeah. So I, I just, I mean, talking about this, I mean, gets me excited because we started off by saying this is a key time of the year because we can look about what we have done. And I think that's always important, right? We can look back at the numbers and the targets and the goals. Absolutely. What was achieved, what wasn't achieved. Um, We can look back at the strategies, what worked, what didn't work. The team, do we have the right people on the bus? Yeah. Or we've got the right people in the right seats. I remember December, for many reasons, is a favorite time of the month for a lot of people. For me, it was my last trip of the year. Mm -hmm. And so... For the last seven or eight years, it was it was Australia in the early years, and then it turned to be London for about the last five or six years, and that was my last final trip to be away from the family. And I remember I would be in Heathrow Airport, the Queen's Terminal, Terminal Number Two, and I'd always take a picture of the arrivals and the departure screens, and I said, "Girls, I'm coming home." Oh man! And I went to the same restaurant, and this was always Friday morning. Your trips were always. Sunday night and, and then back, fly home Friday morning and sit at the same restaurant and I'd start to map these things out. Yeah. You know, hey, the vision's already been set for me from a business perspective. Laura and I already have our personal vision set and our goals and targets are already set from a business. You know, I was a part of creating that, but I started to map, right. okay, what that looked like. But maybe personally, Laura and I haven't dug into it. And, and I would go down almost exactly this list that we're talking about and I go, man, the next two weeks, you know, lead up to Christmas and then before New Year's is a great time, obviously for family, for celebrating, sure. for celebrating Jesus' birth, all those things. But it's also a downtime that I'm going to get a lot of this in yep. play and, and documented and thought about and bounced off of other people or the team, whoever it may be, to go, we're going to hit the ground running. Right. Jan right. 1. And, and I just, you know, the challenge for people listening is going, are you taking advantage of this season? Yeah, yeah. To map this out and plan And it? I think... I think this time of year overwhelms a lot of people. Yeah. There's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of frenzy. There's a lot of clutter. The more you can do to clarify your vision, to identify and articulate your North Star personally, North Star as a business, your North Star as a family, whatever that may be, that actually will create peace. That will actually create, because what it does is it clarifies. It clarifies so much of what is noise versus what actually matters. And when you understand that, it's easier to let the noise go and really dig in on what really matters. And so I think that's our our hope, our prayer for anybody who listens or watches this podcast to say, this is an opportunity this time of year to, to be mindful, to be really present with the people I love most in the world, but also 
to be deliberate, yeah. to be intentional about where we're going and how we're going to get there in 2020. Exactly. 